Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that, and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard of the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what they are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and of nursing babies? You have, prepared, you, you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray that you would allow these words to come, to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. Their tax dollars went to Rome. Their hard-earned wages helped build pagan pantheons and aqueducts that would never do Palestine any good. A foreign army defended the peace and occupied the land. Greek or Latin all but eclipsed the Hebrew language. Jesus himself even spoke it. And Jewish culture was all but buried under the splendor of Athens and Rome. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey that first Palm Sunday around 30 AD, Israel had been a vassal state for about 600 years, exploited over the centuries by one world superpower after another, Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, and finally Rome. The Jews were more like the American colonies before the revolution than an independent nation. But in Israel's case, all of their protests went terribly wrong. It was crushed by a brutal Roman occupation. Anyone attempting to overthrow the occupation ended up high on a cross in plain sight for everyone to see. A constant reminder not to question Roman authority. And then one day their imagination was energized with expectancy by a modest peasant whose life promised a new world. He fed the hungry masses with a few loaves. He spoke with passion about the kingdom of God and preached release to the captives and freedom 
to the oppressed. There were rumors that at his touch, the blind man saw and the lame man walked. They said that even unspeakable demons that possessed people obeyed his command. His integrity was impenetrable, his compassion inexhaustible. He promised justice, practiced goodness, challenged inequity, and preached good news to the poor. And then one day, seated on the back of a donkey, he rides down toward Jerusalem in a manner reserved for visiting dignitaries and royalty alone. And the crowds remember an obscure 200-year-old promise from the prophet Zechariah that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious as he, humble and riding on a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Israel and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the archer's arrow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And in the first century version of a ticker tape parade, they laud his honor and shout his glory as if he'd just won the World Series. Here he rides up the avenue of champions. They give him the red carpet treatment. They lay their coats on the road for the donkey to trample upon. No small thing from people who probably only had a single coat to their name. Would you throw your fur coat down? Would you throw down your Canadian goose for a donkey to walk all over? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they shout. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. It's the same words that the angels sang 30 years before. Is he the king? Yes, Jesus is king, but maybe for just a day. As with every monarchy quickly founded by the multitude, this one appears to have the life expectancy of an ancient Italian president. During the early, the uncertain days of the struggling Roman Republic, political chaos made for very short-lived governments. At least one Roman president lasted less than a day, prompting Cicero to observe, we have a president of, such, president of such vigilance that during his entire term, he never slept a wink. That was about the duration of Jesus' kingship. He was king, but for barely a few days. It was, of course, his own fault. As soon as he gets to Jerusalem, he demonstrates being tone deaf to political nuance. The first thing that he does is he goes straight to the temple, the epicenter of Jewish authority, and he starts to turn over tables of money changers who were trying to make a living like they always had. Jesus should have known that you can't attack a people's livelihood or they will run you out of town, which is, of course, is what they did about five days later. So after they crown him king on that first Palm Sunday, they are angry with him by week's end. And Jesus doesn't storm Herod's palace. He doesn't put together an army to assault Pilate's house. He doesn't sail for Rome with a fleet of warships to confront Emperor Tiberius. He goes to reclaim the temple, a holy place, a spiritual place to show the world that his kingdom is not of this world. And the Jerusalem crowd thinks 
that's not what we wanted. That's not what we meant. But Jesus means to lay claim on their hearts and their lives, and they never intended for that. And so the same crowds that shout Hosanna on Palm Sunday scream crucify him by Friday. And here we are 2,000 years later still telling the story, still trying to understand what happened, to hear those timeless truths. And maybe there are a few things that the Palm Sunday story teach us. First, Jesus the Christ enters the holy city and we're excited. We think we want Jesus. We think we want peace. We think we want justice. We think we want God's way. We think we want Christ's kingdom. So we welcome Christ the King with hosannas and, and palm branches. And the second thing is that when we discover the implications of Christ's kingdom, we decide we were misled. And we ask ourselves, do we really want peace and justice in God's way? If Christ's kingdom is not what we all had in mind, we kill it once and for all, or so we would think. And then we discover the third thing. The third thing is that you can't kill the Christ because this is God's world. And we live in God's world. And God's justice and love and peace will come because Christ is king. Stuyvesant Town is on 20th Street, just off of 1st Avenue on the east side of Manhattan. It's a nice neighborhood with playgrounds and parks and fountains. And Stuytown was open more than 70 years ago in 1947, so the trees are mature and tall. There are 35 buildings covering 80 acres with 8,700 apartments and 25,000 residents. Stuytown was built on land that was once the farm of Peter Stuyvesant, the famous mayor of New Amsterdam in the 17th century. And in 1947, 100,000 applications were submitted to get one of the 8,700 apartments. Lee Lorch was one of them. He died a few years back, but not back in 1947, he was a college math professor. He had a PhD from the University of Cincinnati, he served in World War II in the Army Air Corps in the Pacific, and he returned to the city to teach at the City College of New York in 1946. Like many returning veterans, he couldn't find a decent place to live with his wife, Gracie, until he got one of the apartments in Stuy Town. As he put it, he had all the right credentials, a steady job, a teaching appointment at City College, and perhaps most of all, he was not black. His words, not mine. At the time, the president of the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, which developed and owned Stuytown, told the New York Post that, quote, blacks and whites don't mix. If we let them in, they will drive property values down, end quote. New York had given MetLife all the land and huge tax breaks, but somehow MetLife got to decide who could live in those apartments. One popular chant of the time went, Stuytown is a grand old town, but you can't get in if your skin is brown. Almost as soon as he moved in, Lee Lorch started campaigning for fair housing in Stuytown. He formed a tenant committee to eliminate the discrimination. 
And when the city college learned about Mr. Lorch's activism, they fired him as a troublemaker. He found a new appointment at Penn State University, but as soon as he got to State College, the president told him to turn around and go back home. The reason? He had kept his Stytown apartment and given it to a black friend and his family to live in. Mr. Lorch obtained an appointment at Fisk University, a black college in Nashville, and since living in Nashville, he didn't need his Stytown apartment any longer, so he rented it out to a black family. Fisk, a black college, fired him too when he refused to face Joe McCarthy in the House Un-American Activities Committee. He then went to another tiny black college in Little Rock, which also refused to renew his appointment after a year. In 1956, a journalist wrote, because he believed in the principles of decency and justice and the equality of all people under God. Lee Lorch and his family had been hounded through four states from the north and south, like refugees in a displaced person's camp. This man who had defended democracy against tyranny with his life in the Pacific finally moved his family to Canada and he took a teaching job at York University. And he lived there for the last 50 years of his life because America would not have him. The country banished a war veteran, a civil rights hero from our land because he was about two decades ahead of the rest of the United States. In 1959, 12 years after the opening of Stytown and the year that Mr. Lorch left for Canada, there were still only 47 African-Americans living in Stytown. But it was Mr. Lorch's agitation that led directly to the Fair Housing Act of 1968. In 1990, the City College of New York, now called City University, that had fired him in 1949, awarded him an honorary degree. A few years ago, he was asked, if you had the chance to do it over again, what would you do differently? Mr. Lorch thought about it for a moment and finally said, more and better of the same. More and better of the same. What would you think if Jesus were to enter this city today? What more and better of the same would you want Jesus to do? We think we want justice. We think we want God's way. We think we want God's peace. We think we want Christ's kingdom, but when it comes riding into the city, too often we chase it away. Palm Sunday was a fleeting glimpse in the midst of time of what will be true for all at the end of time. Gilbert Chesterton talks about it in his poem, The Donkey. The poem is about the brief glorification of, this, of the disdained and the abused, and his donkey is oddly a cipher for the Christ. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will, I but I also had in my years one far fierce hour and sweet, there was a shout beneath, about his ears and palms beneath his feet. It's a triumph of the one who keeps his ancient will no matter what. And it is one far fierce hour and sweet. 
So the question comes back to us, what kind of savior are you looking for? What more and better of the same do you want? Do you really want God's justice? Do you really want God's peace? Do you really want God's way? Do you really want Christ's kingdom? It's time to get ready. Because the one who is riding into the city on a donkey is maybe not one that you would expect. But he's coming. He's on his way. Amen.